Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. gospel according to Matthew chapter 9. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout that district. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the rain that nourishes the earth and your grace that saves us. Help us to be faithful people. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul says that it is not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, that Abraham would inherit the world. Abraham is an interesting case study in faith. If it's been a while since you've read his story, let me remind you of some of the highlights. God promised to Abraham that he and Sarah would have so many descendants that they would be more numerous than the stars in the sky or grains of sand on the beach or in the desert. And even though this was the promise, they went without a child. Well, well, well into their older years. Some traditions say into being 100 years old. And as they traveled around, not once, but twice, they went into somebody else's kingdom. Once it was Pharaoh in Egypt, and another time it was another king in the Middle East. And both times, 
Abraham was so afraid that he was going to be killed and Sarah would be taken from him because she apparently was a very beautiful woman, that he told, not once but twice, the kings, he said, hey, this is my sister, so, you know, if you want to have her, you can. And he did that twice. And each time that that happened, curses fell upon the king, and, and finally the king went back to Abraham and said, the king and Pharaoh, what, what's going on here? And they gave her back to Abraham because they were being cursed by God. And Abraham did all of this to save his own skin. And if you think that that's pretty sad and weird, later we find out that Sarah was his sister. Then he loses patience because he's not to have a child, and he ends up having a child with Hagar, his slave. And that we find out that's not even his first child. He has had a previous one from another slave. And when things, when conflict erupts between Hagar and Sarah and little baby Isaac and Ishmael, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael packing. And they almost die in the desert until God saves them. So it, it goes on. It goes on from there. So when Paul says that Abraham had a strong faith, we really have to remember that Abraham was quite a character. And we admire him not because he was so squeaky clean in his life, but despite his flaws, he really believed in God's promises. You know, these are the kinds of stories that atheists today point to in the Bible, and they say, how could you believe that God would reward this type of behavior? Last Sunday in Sunday school, we were talking about the difference between atheism and agnosticism. Agnostics is someone who says that they don't know if there's a God or not. Atheists, unlike agnostics, actually have a kind of faith, if you think about it. They make a principled decision to believe that there is no God. And did you know that at the beginning of our own Christian history, Christians were accused of being atheists? Christians rejected all of the pagan gods, wouldn't worship Caesar, and instead worshiped a god that was invisible, and the only symbol they had was of a Jewish carpenter. Similarly, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was also accused of being a faithless heretic because he would not participate in the widely accepted practice of worshiping relics and practicing indulgences. In fact, the questioning of religious practices and being accused of, an, of being an atheist goes even back further to Judaism, what we read this morning. Thank you for reading, Debbie. Hosea is doing the same thing, the prophet. He's saying God doesn't care 
about your sacrifices. They're pointless. Don't think that if you do that, there's going to be some kind of a supernatural intervention by God to help you. Rather, the prophet says, if you want to flourish, then you simply have to do the right thing. God is not testing you and going to reward you if you do the right thing. No, you just have to do the right thing. And that is the key to a decent life. In fact, it's not enough for any one of us to do the right thing, but we all together have to do what's right. And if and only if a critical mass of us people in harmony do the same good thing and we have the same goal, that is our one and only hope for humanity, that we won't simply destroy ourselves and the planet. This was the project of Jesus. Jesus was anticipating the kingdom of heaven on earth, which would be a time finally of peace and justice. And in order for such a thing to happen, a wide variety of people all would need to participate. Jesus wasn't interested in finding the good people the right people to join him, he was casting a large net, picking up anybody who was willing to join him in this enterprise. You have to have a wide collection of people in order to organize a grassroots movement. One example would be Matthew, the tax collector. Collecting taxes for Rome would have been looked down upon because you would be seen as colluding with the enemy, with outside occupation, cozying up to power for personal gain. Maybe for Matthew it was just a job, and maybe he did it fairly. Many tax collectors were accused of being corrupt and lining their own pockets. Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, and that's what Matthew did. Later, they're having dinner when some of the Pharisees make a fuss about the fact that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. To this, Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I wonder how that made Matthew and the others feel. Over and over again in the Bible, it says that the Pharisees We're giving Jesus a hard time, questioning him. But you know, we make a mistake if we think that the Pharisees were an adversary to Jesus. That wasn't the case at all. If you think about it, the Pharisees were always around Jesus, probably because they were following him too. Many of them liked what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in all probability, for being as smart and as well-educated in the Hebrew scriptures as he was, he was probably taught by Pharisees as a child. They were pretty much the only game in town if you wanted to learn the Jewish law and faith. They were the ones that were in the synagogues teaching. And so Jesus probably had many Pharisees following him too. 
they were some of the most highly educated and highly ethical people in their day. But what bothered them was that while they were trying so hard to be good and to do the right thing, Jesus was just picking up tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And so the Pharisees were asking themselves, why are we trying so hard? Why are we trying so hard to be good when Jesus is just including everyone? And in fact, if you think about it, this is the paradox at the heart of what it means to be a church today. Our aspiration, of course, is to build up our fellowship of Jesus so that we are well organized and thriving and brimming with people and activities and outreach to the community. And the paradox or the irony is that the more we do that, the more we will bring in people who don't know church, the more we will bring in people who may not be living their life in a way that we agree with. But in order to succeed, this is exactly what we have to do. And so we ask ourselves, how is this sustainable? How can we do this? And it gets to the point of Jesus and the healing stories this morning. Jesus is summoned by a Jewish leader to heal his daughter. Now it's interesting because in Matthew it says that she had already died. But when we read it in other Gospels, it says that she's near death. And as she's near death, they wanted Jesus to get there before he died. And he's late in getting there because this other woman comes up and pulls on his robe, reaching out to be healed. And the way that the story is told, it makes it sound that the fact that Jesus was held back and made late, that it was in that time that the little girl died. But Jesus doesn't reprimand the woman. In fact, he affirms her and he praises her and he says, your faith has made you well because she pressed through the crowd and she wouldn't stop. She persevered until she was able to be healed by Jesus. And then when Jesus goes to heal the little girl, he raises her up from death and heals her as well. And the point of the story is that Jesus not only has enough time for all of us, but what if the healing of the little girl actually depended on the healing of the woman? What if healing isn't an individual affair, but it's a community affair? What if the most wonderful care and quality of life isn't just possible for everyone, but it can only exist when it includes everyone? We are our greatest resource and treasure. If you're standing in line at the grocery store and there's a lot of people ahead of you, if you're like me, you might get a little anxious and you want the line to move forward. It's human nature. But the point of this parable is to say, when everybody gets what they need, the longer the line, the more thankful we should be because it means 
We're all getting fed. We're all getting what we need. We're all thriving together. My security depends on all of these people's security. The psalmist writes on behalf of God and asks, what do I have, what, what do I have to do to be fed? God is asking rhetorically through the psalm that we chanted this morning. Do you think I need a bull or a goat to eat? God says that's ridiculous. All of the bulls are mine on all of the hills. And the hills are mine. And the trees are mine. And the mountains are mine. And the great sea creatures are mine too. And you know, because of our baptism, and this baptism we're going to do for Luca today, in each of our baptisms, when we're baptized, we are connected to God. We become God's body, the body of Christ. And therefore, if we are connected to God and we are a part of God's body, then all of this creation belongs to us. We lack absolutely nothing. For the goodness of all of the earth is our inheritance. It is reckoned to us by our faith. Amen.